Minor League Baseball has been around since the 1880s. It has allowed players to develop and pursue their dream of eventually making it to the big leagues, while also providing endless entertainment for baseball fans who live in those towns. Currently, there are 14 minor leagues whose teams are affiliated with the major leagues, with a total of 162 teams spread across the United States and to a much smaller extent, Canada. But the system as we know it appears to be on the verge of seismic change, which may include up to 42 teams being removed from affiliated baseball. As in, they will no longer be farm teams of a major league club. Why is this happening? Should it happen? I'm Dan Schulman, and this is A Swing and a Belt. For the minor leaguers who dream of getting a shot in those famous ballparks, though, the season has been canceled altogether. That means many of the small town franchises that already were on baseball's financial chopping block may have played their last game. J.J. Cooper is the executive editor for Baseball America. If you love minor league baseball, Baseball America is a must for you. And this story has been a big one for the folks at Baseball America the last year or so, given how significant the changes may be and how many people will be impacted by it. JJ, thanks for joining me today. Happy to be here. Thanks, Dan. Let's start at the top. For people who don't know JJ, who owns minor league teams? What is the business relationship like between those minor league teams and their major league teams? That's a great question and a, a complicated one because the best way I can describe it is, is this is a system that has developed organically. If you go back, as you said, minor league baseball has been around pretty much as long as major league baseball. You can really say it kind of started with town ball. And if you go back to the start of it, it was these truly independent teams. I'm from Perry, Georgia. A team in Macon, Georgia would operate just trying to be the best team that Macon, Georgia could have or Rochester, New York, or take your pick or whatever. But they had nothing to do with the major leagues. So these were owned by local owners. And basically, they each operated as their own separate little fiefdom. But they were all under the uh, umbrella of the National Association, which was developed because, you know, your town down the road may steal a player from my team. And they wanted to stop that, much like we saw the, uh, the origins of the uh, National League and the American League for many of the same reasons. So... It started from all being individually owned and really having no ties to Major League Baseball. But Branch Rickey, especially in the 1930s, kind of came up with the idea that instead of us just purchasing players who are worthy of coming up to the majors from these teams, wouldn't it be better off if we owned or had at least affiliation agreements with these clubs and then we get first pick instead of us having to battle to sign a player any player who develops for this club will be a St. Louis Cardinal down the road. And at first, Kennesaw Mountain Landis said that this was utterly illegal and slapped Branch Rickey on the hand multiple times. But in the end, this is the system we developed, which is that you had individual ownership of these minor league clubs. However, they had affiliation agreements with the major league team. So the major league team promised to provide and pay for players that would play for these minor league teams, they would have control over when the player goes up or goes down or gets released or gets traded. But the business operations of the minor league team are still run and still controlled 
by the minor league owner. And that's really the system we still have now where you have owners who own these minor league clubs. They're responsible for hiring the GM, for hiring the sales team, for the operations at the ballpark, everything. But the major league club provides the players through an affiliation agreement, a player development contract ensures that they will pay the players. They'll pay for the coaches. Some of the cost as far as some of the ancillary parts of supplying players, but the rest of it is, is controlled and run by a minor league owner. Okay. So in a baseball sense, kind of a mom and pop operation, these are local people in, in all of these cities or towns. You know, it's their hard work. It's their blood, sweat, and tears. It's their money that goes into keeping this minor league team afloat. Yes. Now I'll say it, it's become a much bigger business than it used to be. It used right. to be that you could own a team if you were willing to take on the five or $10,000 of debt they have. Now we're talking about clubs that are valued in the 25 or even $50 million range. And there are MLB teams who own some of them, but yes, it is still minor league owned by individual owners largely. In general, and, and I don't know if you know this, are minor league teams generally profitable? I assume they would be, or the people who run them wouldn't continue to run them. But do they need, you talked about you know some of the expenses that are paid by the major league team, but generally speaking, if you own a minor league team, are you making money off of that? In most cases, I would say, and especially in full season ball, you are making money on a year-to-year basis. You are making some profit, and it's kind of, I've had minor league operators describe it like it's like a farm. It really depends on the weather. If you have a bad year where you have a lot of rainouts, well, if you went from 70 home dates to 55, you may have had a bad year and you may have lost a little money that year. If you had a really good year and you didn't have any rainouts, you had a really good 4th of July weekend, things like that. You know, I've heard of teams making, you know, low seven figures in a year. But the main improvement, the main valuation, the main way that teams have made money is over the last 25, 30 years, the values of these clubs have gone up significantly where much like we talk about the major league level, if you bought a club for $4 million and you make, let's say, a very modest amount of money every year, but that club's now worth 10, well, you're okay if you just make a a slight amount of money every year. You don't have to shell money out because you're going to make a a significant amount of money in the long term eventually when you sell the club. Right. Okay. So let's get to the heart of the matter now. As I mentioned off the top, there are, well, there are 30, obviously 30 major league baseball teams my understanding is there are 162 minor league teams. So some teams have five, some teams have six minor league teams. And the story broke last year and came out again this year, kind of during the lockdown, that Major League Baseball is looking to eliminate roughly 42 teams, leaving 120, which no coincidence is 30 times four. You'd have four teams per Major League team. So tell folks first, why does Major League Baseball want to do this? What is behind the move? As you said, 120 is MLB's plan, and that is four full-season clubs. Each team would have a low A, a high A, a double A, and a triple A club. And then each club would have a complex team, Arizona or Florida, that plays at their spring training complex for the lowest, the youngest players. And that's not ticket buying. That's that's basically, think of it almost like spring training. So that's never been part of this calculation. When we talk about 160, we're not talking about them. MLB's viewpoint on this is that There are, in their viewpoint, at New York MLB, I want to say, I want to make this clear because there are MLB teams who may disagree with this, but their viewpoint is there are too many players. When you look at the short season rookie ball levels, most of these players are never going to make the majors. So it would be more efficient to have a system. They cut the draft this year. They usually has been 40 rounds. This year it was five going forward. Next year it's going to be 20. They'll have fewer draftees. They'll have fewer player acquisition costs. And by doing so, 
they also say, then we will pay, which they've already said they're going to raise minor league pay. They will pay the remaining minor league players, the fewer minor league players that they have, a larger salary, raising the salaries that have been quite low considering, uh, you know, the rise of inflation compared to the rise of minor league salaries. So taking baseball out of it for a second, if we talked about it as generically as we could, this is management saying we're going to streamline our operations, become more efficient, and you, the employees, stand to benefit from this as well. There will be fewer of you, but those of you who are still here will have better working conditions, better pay. Is that kind of the gist of the, of the situation? I think that's a fair explanation of MLB's viewpoint on this. Okay, so what is minor league's viewpoint on this? As you might expect, they uh, <laughs> they are less enthused about yes. this idea. Basically, there would be full season clubs who would be out in this plan. I can't tell you exactly who those are because there is no final list of 120 yet. And from all my reporting, the list keeps changing. Basically, at one point, MLB has approached their 30 MLB clubs and said, tell us your ideal affiliations. And so they're trying to piece that together as best they can. But simply said, if you're in the Appalachian League right now, if you're in the New York Penn League, if you're in the Pioneer League, which are two rookie ball leagues and a short season league, those leagues would not operate under MLB's plan. They would eliminate this short season baseball and they would replace that. Their ideas is that there would be these leagues that would have, you know, potentially for undrafted players, things like that. Obviously, if you were a minor league owner who owns a club in the Pioneer League or the New York Penn League, you are strongly against this because potentially they're working out whether there is going to be compensation or not for these clubs. But potentially you could have a multi-million dollar investment that largely just disappears because, you know, if the New York Penn League goes away, now it doesn't mean that they're not going to be baseball of some sort played there, but that New York Penn League franchise that you owned could simply disappear. From that standpoint, obviously, MILB owners and MILB St. Pete are strongly opposed to that in many ways. But on top of that, the other argument that they would make is, is that when you ask the question about whether these teams are profitable, and the answer in many cases is yes, or in many cases also it's break even. And there are some teams I do think who on a year to year basis probably do lose a little bit of money. That is with the current, what you could describe it as subsidy if you want, but that is with the current affiliation agreement by which MLB pays players. There are obviously other teams around the country that play in independent leagues where the team is responsible for paying the players. But there are cities that they make the argument quite succinctly that we won't be able to survive having pro baseball if you take away our affiliation. And by doing so, you will effectively remove baseball from this community in the way that we've had it in many cases, some cases for 50, 75, you know, or 100 years. And I don't claim to be an expert on that, but I will tell you, just as the dad of a boy, and he and I used to take baseball trips all over the place, and I mean all over the place, and we would always make sure it wasn't just a major league game that we would see. We would see either two major league and one minor league or one major league, two minor league, depending on where we were driving. And without fail, when my son Ben was 8, 9, 10, 11 years old, he would say, who is this a farm team of? Who do they belong to? Where will I see these guys play when they get to the majors? I'm not saying that we shouldn't have, but we never looked for an independent league game to go to. We went to see affiliated ball. Even if it was low A, short season A, that was enough to get us in the car for us to drive 300 miles to go see a minor league game at what we thought looked like a really cool ballpark. And, and you know much more about this than I do, but I think if I'm one of those 42 owners 
and somebody says to me, well, it's still okay. You can have an independent league franchise. My guess is your revenues are going to suffer tremendously. And I would hope I'm wrong, but is that how you would view it? Well, the starting point that as I understand it, having talked to a number of these owners is, so your bottom line immediately changes by three hundred to $400,000. Um, the cost of simply paying for the players and the coaches and workers comp, which is a very, very large expense. <laughs> Whatever you're paying in salary, you are paying almost that same amount in workers comp because baseball players do get injured and that's an on the job injury and therefore they rightfully should be covered. If you blow out your elbow, the team should pay for Tommy John to have that repaired. You did that while working for that team. So the expenses go up right away. Now there are absolutely independently clubs out there that do really well. I've gone to multiple St. Paul Saints games, which independent baseball largely sprung up because you had cities that were within major league and minor league territories where St. Paul was never going to get a minor league team. They were too close to the twins, but independent ball sprung up there and they do a great job. They do a great operation. It's a great experience. And they draw as well as most AAA clubs. So there are examples out there. That said, when you talk to affiliated owners, they absolutely believe that there is significance. And it doesn't always have to be because you're a farm team of the club down the street. I do think that there is some significance in Elizabethton, Tennessee, that they're a farm team of the twins because they've been the E-Twins for many, many years. And there are examples like that around, you know, I think that if you're a Yankees affiliate in short season ball, you know, or rookie ball, I think that that has some cachet to it, some significance. And so, yeah, I think that they would absolutely say that they will lose something if they no longer are affiliated. A lot of my audience here for this podcast would be Canadian because I'm based in Toronto. So I want to Blue Jay this up a little bit so people can understand a little bit better. The Blue Jays, leaving aside their Gulf Coast League team in Florida, which, as you said, would be untouched, have six other uh, farm teams currently. Obviously, none are playing this year, but, you know, from the past. AAA, Buffalo. New Hampshire, AA. Dunedin is their high A, which is also at their facility, obviously, where their operations are in Florida. Their full season A is Lansing, Michigan, has been for a long time. Short season A is Vancouver, which although it's 2,500 miles away, it's in Canada, and that means something. And then you've got a rookie league team in Bluefield. Bluefield is on the list that you and I have seen. And as you said, nobody knows for sure, but let's say Bluefield is on the list and it's going to get eliminated. So the Blue Jays still have five teams, but 120 divided by 30 is four. So does that mean one of those four affiliates is not going to be a Blue Jay affiliate anymore and conceivably could wind up with another geographically more sensible parent club in the major leagues is one of those teams. And in my mind, it would be Lansing or Vancouver because I can't see Buffalo, New Hampshire, or Dunedin going somewhere, although maybe I'm totally wrong. But in your mind of the five I gave you is one of them leaving the Blue Jays at some point in the next couple of years. Absolutely. Because again, if it goes to 120, every club will have four affiliations. In this instance, again, I'm Dealing with hypotheticals here because there is no finalized list, but like Vancouver, if Vancouver survives in this, it is going to be right now MLB's plan has been that there will be a new full season league out west. The Northwest League will no longer be a short season league, but it'd be a full season league. Well, the idea with that is that it would be a full season league that would serve teams from the West Coast they give them a more geographically, you know, logical affiliate. So 
And I've heard whether Northwest League may be high A, it may be low A, but whatever way that is, likely it would have a West Coast affiliate. Now, the other part of this is, I will say though, is, is like what you just said, all of those that currently have are very logical affiliations in many cases for the Blue Jays. That said, there are no guarantees short of you are an MLB team that owns, like Dunedin's not going to go to someone else. Dunedin plays at the Blue Jays spring training facilities. That said, there are no other guarantees that there may not be long time affiliations that are broken up by this because it may be just a situation where you say, you know what? Yes, we know that you've been a longtime affiliate, but geographically, it makes way more sense for this team to be tied to this club, which is right down the road. Or maybe there's something in the background where some team wants to be you know, affiliated with someone else. And so I think that the 120 may get shuffled a lot more than people may expect because one of the things that they're looking to is cut travel and also make teams more geographically consistent with their major league club in many instances. Right. Which, you know, practically, logically speaking, makes perfect sense. It's a bottom line. It's a business and it's about money. But for when you or someone at Baseball America writes the story of this shuffle, the Vancouver one is going to be very interesting to me because it matters to people in Canada that a Canadian minor league team is affiliated with the Blue Jays. Even though it's 2,500 miles away, there's an intangible emotional attachment to that concept. Agreed. I'm with you. I'm afraid Vancouver will wind up being the Mariners or, or something like that. That may be great for Seattle, maybe perfect for Seattle, and maybe a lot of people in Vancouver would even approve of that because three years later, they'd get to see those guys in the big leagues. But you know, they watch the Blue Jays all the time on TV. And as you know, they flood down to Seattle when the Blue Jays are there. So I don't mean to digress too much, but the Vancouver one is very interesting to me. Well, I haven't asked you your opinion. I asked you for both sides of the story. What's your opinion on whether this should happen to the degree that it apparently is going to happen? This is where it gets tricky for me. The best way I can put it is, is, is that as long as I'm trying to report accurately on both sides of this, and I've had even journalists who've kind of had, you know, I appreciate it, but discussions with me saying, you know about this issue, you should weigh in with your opinion, but I've been trying to keep my opinion out of it. This part I can't say, and I feel comfortable in saying this. I work at Baseball America. I have covered minor league baseball in some way. It is foundational to me of my love of baseball. I look at, I, you said you have a son. I have two daughters. We're based in Raleigh, Durham, North Carolina, in this area. There is no major league baseball that is easy for us to get to. I want my girls, you know, it's their choice, but I want them to be baseball fans. They've made it to one major league game in their lives because we are five plus hours in a car away from any major league city. However, they have been to many a minor league game because we have the Durham Bulls, we have the Carolina Mudcats, we have, you know, college baseball in this area. I do think that it is absolutely true that baseball fans are not just minted and not just created at major league stadiums. There were over 40 million fans who go to a minor league game, not this year, obviously, but in a normal year. And the way I would put the importance of minor league baseball overall is major league baseball nowadays is a special event for most people. If you are not, you know, of significant means, you're not going to, in most cases, major league baseball games on a regular basis. It's a special treat and expensive night out. Minor league baseball, the options of that is, is are we going to go to a movie on Friday night or are we going to go to a ball game? Because you can do so actually, in many cases, a lot less expensively than you can go to a movie theater or a nice dinner out for the family. From that perspective, 
I think that there is much value in minor league baseball. And I think it is, you know, I think both sides would say that it is important that that not be lost in this. Now, there's a lot of arguments going back and forth. Now, you just said about affiliated and independent. The other thing that I've, you know, my reporting has had that that in many of these cases, MLB's plan in some of these cases is to replace currently rookie ball, uh, you know, short season ball with summer wood bat leagues where instead of you seeing low level minor league players, 18, 19, 20 year olds on their way up through the minor league system, you would see 18, 19, 20 year olds who are playing, you know, this summer when they, before they go back to college. And obviously they're hoping to be drafted and go on to play affiliated ball after that. I feel comfortable in saying I've seen very good summer wood bat operations where there are cities where the economics of that are easier. If you're, you know, you're not paying the players because you can't pay the players. They're, they're still amateurs. You're not allowed to pay them. There are absolutely examples. I grew up not far from Savannah, Savannah, Georgia. The Savannah Bananas are minting more baseball fans there with Summerwood Bat than ever were being done with affiliated ball when they were a Mets affiliate. But that said, those examples are the creme de la creme of Summerwood Bat. There are obviously many other examples where you don't draw nearly as well. I think it is very important. Major League Baseball has made a promise before coronavirus and after coronavirus that they plan on there still being baseball in these cities who will be taken away from affiliated baseball. It is important to baseball, I would say, that that be something that is still true. Because if you do take away baseball, or if baseball is put in these cities in a form that it quickly disappears soon thereafter because it was not financially viable because of the system that was set up, that will be a loss not just for baseball fans in that area, but for baseball as a whole. There is a big picture to this. And the other part that I would say is, is that when I said that Major League Baseball wants their, you know, they think 120 would be more efficient. I do want to make it clear. This is not monolithic. I have talked to multiple Major League Baseball organizations who their way that they would say is, is that, OK, if if there's clubs out there that only want to have four affiliates, that's fine. Let them do so. Don't prevent us from having five or even six. Let us do more. And so if you said that in this system, there was a guarantee of 120 affiliates, but if the Pioneer League or the Appy League or the New York Penn League has enough teams who are interested, who are willing to provide players, great, then they can continue to operate uh, that seems like it, it's kind of a, a potential compromise, but I, I don't think that that necessarily is going to happen. But I think it's a very logical compromise that would kind of allow for the wishes of teams that want to have more players. Yeah, I'd love to see that number be closer to 150 than 120, but I'm with you. I, it, it feels like Major League Baseball has the hammer here, and, and I don't know if anything can be done about it. And as you said, if they're not very, very careful about what they do and how they do it, something will be lost that you won't be able to get back again. And, and for you know people like your daughters and so many kids around the United States for whom Minor League Baseball is so important, some of them in some of those towns will will lose out. But again, on the other side, there are, again, all very you know, sensible, logical money reasons and travel reasons and cost reasons to, to do things a little bit differently. This has been great, JJ. Thank you very much. I know you spent a lot of time on this. This has been very instructive for me. I'm glad to learn more about this. I'll be keeping an eye on Vancouver. I know you will be too amongst all 162 minor league franchises. Just want to thank you for your time and for all the great work that you guys are doing right through the lockdown leading up to the draft. And, and you guys are still humming along. I appreciate all the, all the great work that you guys have done there for so many years. Well, uh, thank you for having me, Dan. 
So as you heard from JJ, minor league baseball is important. It matters a lot to so many families who do not live within reasonable driving distance of a major league ballpark. And for many people, affiliated minor league baseball may go away. That team you root for may no longer be a part of the Braves or the Nationals or the Rockies or the Mariners. And will that hurt business? Will that drive people out of business. It feels like a giant game of musical chairs where Major League Baseball is going to determine which cities it wants the most, which teams they should be affiliated with, and what level they should be at. Money, again, is always a a consideration here, but there are going to be some very, very hard decisions made over the next couple of years that will impact minor league baseball and players trying to get into affiliated baseball. That'll do it for this episode. As always, A Swing It About is produced by Christian Ryan. I'm Dan Schulman saying thanks for listening, and we'll see you again next time.